Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. We've enjoyed revisiting our Reimagined Chicago series on education in partnership with the University of Chicago's Center for Effective Government at the Harris School of Public Policy. We've investigated how key institutions and systems work in our city and how they could work better. Let's now go back to one of those conversations on how we can transform learning when we took you all the way to India. Educator and innovator Manish Jain calls the modern system of learning, quote, one of the greatest crimes against humanity, end quote. He left his suburban Chicago roots for an elite education and a career designing education systems for global institutions and governing bodies. In time, Manish decided that the best way to transform how we learn is by completely deconstructing the system as we know it. So he moved to India and with friends co-founded Swaraj University. Manish maintains that we must hack education to save our young people. And it was his Chicago roots that helped plant the seeds of his transformation. I grew up in uh, Willowbrook and went to uh, Hinsdale South High School there. Since childhood, I actually uh, never liked school. I uh, always was more excited about working on little startup businesses and community service and uh, different kinds of uh, sports activities and all kinds of things. And I was always scolded by my parents that, you know, you're wasting your time. You need to be uh, really focusing on academics, and that's the key to success. And these are all, quote-unquote, extracurricular activities. Right. And you ended up with an Ivy League education. Even though I never studied, I somehow (laughs) ended up with an Ivy League education. Right. And most of the time I was doing all these other activities, and I realized that my real learning was happening and doing all these real things in the world with community, with friends, and solving practical problems and things like that. So I started, you know, reflecting on that. And also when I was in school, I actually would often get sent out of the class and put into detention for being a little bit of a troublemaker, Mm -hmm. class clown type. And uh, I realized, you know, all those kids who are detention, the problem children, the slow learners, all of those labels, I realized that these kids are super talented, super creative. They just don't like to fit into the system. And my whole worldview shifted at that time, and I said, wow, there's a lot of talent here. Why are these kids being put in these kinds of situations? And it turned out most of these kids were from low-income families or whether black or brown. So I started seeing a pattern even when I was a young person. I said, we need to rethink all of this. And then I thought what to do, and I worked, and I thought, let me try to get to the major centers of power to change things in the world. So I was an investment banker on Wall Street. I worked at Harvard. I was at UNESCO and UNICEF, uh, World Bank, all these places. And I started trying to understand how was this system working. And the closer I got into these centers of power, the more questions I started having. There's something really wrong with the fundamental design of things. Well, I wanted to get into your, your philosophy. It's based on a concept called Shikshantar. Can you explain to our listeners what that yeah. is? Shikshantar means um, deep learning, and it really starts with this idea of self-designed learning, that we're all born as self-designed learners. And rather than focusing on the deficit, you're not good at this or you're not good at that, or your community is lacking in the larger development model also, you know, we look at communities, we're trained uh, through the UN system, look at 
communities through this deficit perspective. They don't have this. They don't have that. We start with what are you good at? Uh, and this is actually very interesting. It's this idea first was I kind of intuitively knew it, but I theoretically read about Chicago. There's a person, John McKnight um, at Northwestern, who worked on this thing called asset-based community development. And let's start looking with what people's talents and assets are rather than looking at their negative things. And let's give them the space to design their own learning processes. At the top, I mentioned that you call the modern education system the greatest crime against humanity. That's a strong statement, Manish. Why do you say this? There's several things around that, but uh, let's mention a couple. So one is, I think, this whole culture of labeling children as failures or as slow learners or as dropouts. You know, there's a whole list of um, labels that have been attached to children. And I think that, you know, the child is not a failure. It's the education system which is failing our children. And we need to start to understand that, this, you know, anybody who's interested in social justice issues, why whole communities, uh, almost races, are being labeled as failures in the U.S. case, ending up in the prison system oftentimes. So, you know, I see so many people having depression, mental health issues, uh, extreme from the pressure to keep succeeding. You know, the Ivy League and trying to get to the Ivy League, all these so-called winners, there's a huge amount of damage that's done. And I think it's also done to the way we think and see. So we're trained to see things in a very fragmented, linear, disconnected way, decontextualized way. And so you look at it deeply, a lot of the major crises on the planet are coming out of this way of thinking. So I think, you know, the way we look today at um, slavery, with all of the disgust and dismay and disbelief, we're going to look, you know, 20, 25 years from now, people are going to be looking at, like, how could we have done this to innocent children uh, all over the planet? So your vision of transformation, you say it comes down to unlearning in order to reimagine education. Yeah. What do you mean? You know, there are many, we are being held captive by our conditioning. And the conditioning has many different forms. Uh, our fears that we've been, you know, I think schooling, one of the roles it plays is to fill us with a lot of different kinds of fears and anxieties about the future. Even the words we use, you know, like democracy, freedom, economic growth, all of these push us back into a certain kind of box of how things should be or how things should look. Uh, many questions about what is the good life, what is progress. You know, in India, our neighbor is Bhutan, and they started raising this whole debate on gross national happiness, for example. We're seeing even with COVID and the COVID disruption that the future is not what we were expecting it, and there's a lot of uncertainty and complexity that is surrounding our lives, and we will need to have to look at things in very different ways. So I would say the most important thing for anybody working in education is to really seriously look at unlearning. And it's not just a theoretical concept. Uh, it's also in many kinds of practical ways. How do we reclaim the wisdom of our bodies? How do we re reclaim the wisdom of our land, of our mountains, of our rivers, of our ancestors? So there are many different kinds of uh, ways that we have been experimenting with unlearning. But that, I think, is the first step to help us get out of this kind of trap that we're stuck in. So from unlearning to unschooling then, right? Because you, you also lecture and teach about unschooling as an option for families, which to me at first it kind of sounds counterproductive. So can you just explain how that works? Actually, we use the word unschooling sometimes, sometimes natural learning, sometimes self-design learning, but that's the basic pedagogy is that how do we create spaces 
where people can have control over their own learning and how can they do that in a community setting without competition, without fear, without reward and punishment driving it, but actually out of their own inner intrinsic motivation. So how do we awaken the intrinsic motivation? And this idea of, you know, unschooling, in India, we started researching, this is more than 4,000 years old. So this is very much deep-rooted in our culture. And in much of the spaces that we've had, the extended family, joint family spaces, apprenticeship learning spaces, all of these have been traditionally grounded in this kind of, even our spiritual journeys have been grounded in this kind of philosophy. So when we're talking about unschooling, we're basically saying, let us give more power to the learner. Let us move to a learner-led model of education, where we start with what are the questions, the curiosities, the creativities of each learner, and design the system based on that, rather than trying to give them a cookie-cutter model and enforce it on each child. And so one of the misconceptions in the U.S., at least, is this homeschooling, unschooling kind of movement is for only white elite or sometimes Christian fundamentalist type. But what I'm trying to say is that there's actually a different route to it and very beautiful other aspects and ways that communities all over the world are practicing this. What does that look like, that unschooling model in public schools or government schools? I'm experimenting with that because, you know, this, as I said, this critique that it's only for elite or well-off families or families can afford it. We've developed a model here in some government schools called the Creativity Adda. Adda means a space to hang out. And we start with the question, what do you want to learn? What's happened? What are the problems in your community? What are your dreams? What do you want to explore? What do you want to experiment with? And they can have time three or four hours every day to explore the things they're excited about. And they can do their own projects. They can start up their own enterprises. They can go and do things in their community. And it's really a space to really practice and go deep into the things that, that excite you. And our basic belief is that knowledge and wisdom is, all, is holistic. You can start anywhere and follow it anywhere, and you'll get to very deep places uh, if you're driving it by your own motivation. So we've had some government schools who have started to create this space because in India there's you know huge amount of kids get failed out of school by class 9th or class 10th. Mm-hmm. So we've been working on, and, and it's, again, I'm saying not the problem with the kids. The problem is the school, because not everyone wants to sit all day and be lectured at and try to do rote memorization. There are many different learning styles and intelligences that exist, and we need to find much more robust designs to support those. And so we've started to do this, whether it's in government schools in urban areas, urban slums, or in tribal villages. We've started to, and the results have been fantastic. You know, you see the kids when you trust them, when you give them space to make decisions, when their creativity gets a space to flourish, they as kids flourish and their families start to flourish, their communities start to flourish. Manish, can you tell us more about Swaraj University? I'm interested in learning about your campus and what you offer. I know that you don't give out diplomas and it's a a self-directed curriculum. Is that right? Yes, exactly. Our campus is on an organic farm. And we're very proud to say that we have very poor internet connection. So we talk about people need to unplug to our, in order to replug back into themselves. And people come there, and we give them all kinds of unlearning challenges together we undertake. So one, for example, is called the Bicycle Yatra, Yatra Pilgrimage. So we go for one week uh, with the learners, 
Uh, we call them kojis. Kojis means seekers. So they go travel with us. Nobody has any money. Nobody has any technology with them. Nobody has any food. And we live with communities and experience called the gift culture, the gift economy. And all these communities have tremendous amount of knowledge. Then we started to help people see that how much richness and power and knowledge exists in local communities. And so there's a strong focus on apprenticeship learning. We help them find people that they can go to and learn a lot of, you know, uh, practical skills from. But I give people, the students, a piece of toilet paper uh, rather than a view with Poraj University written on it. And I tell them that this piece of paper will be more useful in your life than in the degree because what you need to do is keep learning and unlearning and uh, growing your skills to be able to respond to all of the challenges faced society. So don't get caught up and you get an ego tip about your degree, but actually remain open and ready to keep uh, exploring new areas and, and new challenges. Now, Manish, during this series, we also talked about the school-to-prison pipeline in American education. You briefly mentioned that earlier. Can you tell us more about your thoughts on it? Yeah, young people want community, they want connection, they want to do meaningful things, they want to have a a sense of what their livelihood can be. And when you don't give them that, that gets channeled into all kinds of um, other forms. And I think that it's a travesty to see what's happening in the U.S. I think all over the world we're shocked to see how many young African-American males end up in prison. Something dramatically has to change. I think this is an extension of the colonial model. Uh, it's a new, new kind of colonization in African-American communities. And the reform efforts that I've seen just are not up to the mark of what's needed in the, in, uh, in the situation. And so yeah. the point is to, invitation is to think much more radically about really uh, reimagining things rather than tinkering with things on the edges, which, which most people want to do. And you, you have a program in the prisons. What was the genesis of that? Yeah, so the superintendent of the uh, Udepur jail uh, heard about our work, and he invited me to come and um, meet him and see the jail. And we started this idea, came that why don't we reimagine the jail as a jail university, as a prison university? So we brought this self-design learning. We started by asking, sitting and having many, many conversations, heart-to-heart conversations with the inmates, and trying to examine and start off, what are the talents and gifts that they have? What are the dreams they have? And then we designed a program which is ever-evolving based on what they are. So, you know, the inmates, a lot of them have farms. So they said, we've heard of organic farming. We want to learn more about it. So let's have something around that. We've actually put several organic and permaculture farms in the jail. Uh, Then several of them were interested in music. So we started saying, okay, and... All of a sudden, we found a whole music academy kind of shot up. And one of the things is the faculty, the, a lot of the faculty in the Yale University are inmates themselves. They have incredible amount of talent, I've seen. And they're just given a channel for the talent to flow. We have a bunch of inmates who have also were excited about photography, filmmaking. So they're making their own film in the jail and exploring things. So there's many things that are kind of emerging out of this thing, and it's it requires flexibility and deep listening from our side. And we can really, I would say, it's one of the most exciting learning places in the in the country. People 
are calling me every day, friends, and saying, we want to come to the jail. We want to see what's happening in the jail. When they go there, and every time I go there, you know, something shifts in our spirit. And I noticed that, you know, people like Gandhi, Mandela, some time in jail. So there's something very powerful about that space. It, it really is just the imagination flowing, and the inmates are so excited about things there. Yeah. And they are, like, leading the effort now. So, Manish, you've traveled the world to lecture and collaborate on on best practices, um, many of the things that you've already been discussing with us. And many of our listeners may very well like what they're hearing from you, but some may be skeptical that this transformation can actually happen. So can you just share what's already happening on the ground that you've seen or know of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a whole burgeoning of... um at, at the higher education level, uh, there's a whole bunch of different kinds of alternative universities coming up across the planet, all over India and in many other countries. We have something called the Ecoversities Alliance, and uh, we have more than right now 300 members in 40 countries. And there's a real, you know, um, yearning for this. Well, before I let you go, Manish, you know, throughout this series we have heard how vested interests get in the way of of change in order to maintain power. So what do you think a revolution would look like in in real terms for us here in Chicago and and elsewhere? Where do we begin? Um, Yeah. So I think, you know, um, the revolution will probably look like we're starting to open up these questions around how do we see happiness, uh, success, what's a good life, what's meaningful, um, and what are the kinds of also uh, the biggest challenges we're facing as a, as a human species in front of us. And looking at the roots of some of those, you know, like there is something called, for example, the Sustainable Development Goals by the UN. So I'm quite critical of that because those are just surface-level challenges. So asking deeper questions about the roots, what's behind these challenges. So if we talk about, for example, in US, in, the, in Chicago, racism, for example, let's ask deeper questions, what's behind it, what's keeping systemic racism in place. Or if we talk about inequality also, same thing, how can we look at it? Or if we look about, you know, what is the spaces for, uh, what's really bringing people happiness? How can we be, rebuild healthy, happy communities? I think there's a lot of... Um, those conversations uh, can really open up a lot of possibilities. And then, as I said, really, you know, bringing unlearning to the center, you know, because what I've seen is a lot of amazing, well-meaning people, at the end of the day, if they haven't done their kind of uh, uh, work on unlearning and deconditioning or decolonizing themselves, they actually start to reproduce the same system that they were trying to challenge. So I think we need to get at some of the roots and understand the whole business, that education is a multi-billion dollar game, and there's very few people who want to change that. And uh, so that's why I left the U.S., because I realized these guys are not going to change the game. We've been communities, people who care, citizens, business leaders. We have to all get together, uh, social leaders, and we have to start to reimagine together. So that's the essence of our work in India and around the world. Manish Jain is co-founder of Swaraj University in Udaipur, Rajasthan, India. Manish, thank you so much. Thank you, Sasha. I miss Chicago. And I have to say, go White Sox.
wraps up Reset's look back to our reimagined Chicago installment on education. For more Reset interviews, subscribe to this podcast. And please give us a rating. It helps other listeners find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.